Good morning. We are back in the book of Romans. Our long lost friend has been found again. So long, so lost, you might have forgotten. The book of Romans is about the work of salvation that God does in this world. We began talking about the ministry of justification, how without justification you were condemned, how justification is expressed, how it's brought into harmony with our lives. Even was given an illustration of justification with Abraham in chapter 4. And then the great deal that justification does in chapter 5. At the end of chapter 5, we began talking about the ministry of Jesus Christ. We talked about his reign as king, bestowing upon us the grace of God. Talked about the new relationship in chapter 6, the freedom from sin's power, the freedom from sin's lust. And then at the end of chapter 6, we talked about the new principle of God, freedom from sin's slavery. Freedom from sin's slavery. So we are in chapter 6, verse 20. You may have forgotten where we left off, but your Bible opens right to it. Romans chapter 6, verse 20. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. In this world, there are two options. One is to be a slave to sin. A slave to sin. There are certain things that having sin as your master brings to you. And being an equal preacher, I'm going to tell you both sides of the road. Here you go. What are the benefits that come to a person staying a slave to sin? First benefit you have, you have absolutely no desire to be morally righteous. You have absolutely no desire to be morally righteous. Being a slave to sin, you don't understand what righteousness is. You don't want to do righteousness. You don't want to uh, uh, produce anything that looks like righteousness. You want to do anything righteous. By the way, the word righteous there, I mean godly righteousness. Godly righteousness. For when you were slaves of sin. The verse begins and goes back to verse 19, which you remember. Verse 19 talked about presenting yourselves as slaves to righteousness. As slaves to righteousness. So, it's talking about you're either a slave to righteousness or you're a slave to sin. You are one or the two. You are one or the two options. Here you go. With Option number one, you are all enslaved by your nature to sin. Sin does not rule your life. Sin rules, you do not rule sin, sin rules you. 
You are completely under the control of sin. If you want to draw a circle, put you in there. Sin is the circle. You are completely controlled by sin. Back in Romans chapter 3, verse 9, it said, What then? Are we better than they? Not at all, for we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are under sin. Are under sin. If you are under sin, you're, you do not have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You have sin as your master. You do what your sin tells you to do. Romans chapter 1, verse 29 said, being filled with all unrighteousness. If you are a slave to sin, you are filled with all unrighteousness. By the way, chapter 1, it goes on with a whole list of sinful actions that you will do if you are a follower of sin, if you are ruled by sin. All people are filled with either the Holy Spirit or unrighteousness. Unrighteousness. There's no neutral ground. There's no Sweden in this war. You are in either sin or righteousness. And if you are in sin, you have a benefit here. You are free in regard to righteousness. Righteousness has no control over your life. There's no uh, commitment to be righteous. There's no desire to be righteous. Righteousness has nothing to do with your life. The non-believer only does non-righteous things. Non-believers under the re no regulations to perform acts of righteousness. He has no desire. He has no want. He will not do it. Okay? That's option one. That's the first thing that comes with you being under sin. Second. Now... What is the second thing that happens when you are a slave to sin, you have no desire to do the righteous thing, and you have a reward of eternal death. Reward for eternal death. Now, by the way, if, I'm, if you're hurting with the word reward there, uh, <clears throat> sin will pay you something. You will get a check in the mail from sin. You will get what they call a reward for being sinful. The reward will be death. Look at the end of verse 21. For the outcome of those things is death. The outcome of a being a slave to sin is death. Verse 21. Therefore, what benefit were you when deriving the, from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. If you are a slave to sin, you will get your reward one day, and it will be death. Now what death is there? Well, there are three deaths. There is spiritual death, which is separation from God spiritually. There is physical death, when your body stops working. And there is eternal death. Now, almost want to raise hands. What do you think? Is it spiritual death? Physical death? Or eternal death? Or D, all the above? Okay, there you go. 
It's always all the above. Always. All the above. You are dead spiritually. You are separated from God while you're walking this planet. You are going to die one day, a physical death, and then you will be dead eternally. Dead eternally. Human beings are sinful and only deserve eternal death. You are continually dwelling with the wrath of God. Every day you live on this planet, you are under the wrath of God. And only by the patience of God do you not receive the wrath now. He will wait one day when there will be a great white throne judgment. He will judge you. Your name will not be found in the books. And you will be placed in a place that's eternal separation from God. We call it the lake of fire. Drop down to verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The reward you get are the wages that sin will pay you. Sin pays and sends you a check, and that will be death. Spiritual death, physical death, and eternal death. The wages of sin, that word there, wages is a military term. It talks about the wages that's paid to a soldier in the army. Paul here is giving the commander of the army a name, sin. Sin is the commander of your army. Sin will pay you. Sin pays only death. You follow that commander, you will get death. Sorry. But that's what the commander pays. Death. The rations that you get from the commander of sin is not paid in a lump sum, but is paid out every day. It's a state of living separate from God. Sinners will earn and they will receive what they earn. Being a moral person does not justify you. Doing a good deed does not justify you. Walking a little old lady across the street does not justify you. Doing something you think is good is not good in God's book. You are a slave to sin. Sin promises life, but at the end, sin gives death. Now, sin, slave to sin, your reward for sin will be not doing anything righteous while you're here on this earth. The duty of sin is to pay you wages. The wage you'll get will be death. He'll give it to you in three folds. You'll be separated from God here on this earth. One day you will die, and then another day you'll stand before a great white throne, and you'll be judged to an eternal death. And you'll stay there forever. It will not be a party. It will be a judgment for every sin you commit against a holy God. And don't tell the holy God that you're a good person. Because you justifying yourself does not justify you. So, you have a problem. 
The solution to that problem is found in verse 23. Verse 23. Notice what it says in verse 23. God offers a free gift. By the way, God does not say I offer you wages. He offers you a gift. A gift you do not have to pay for. A gift that comes freely from God to you. A gift that is justification. That is sanctification. Which is also glorification. It comes as a gift. He gives you a gift out of the love He has for you. And He wants what's best for you. The gift comes without any human effort to make. It is eternal life. Eternal life. It is all God's benefits summarized in one word. Eternal life. Well, that's two words. Eternal life is not a wage. You do not earn eternal life. You're given it as a gift. You get it out of the grace of God, the mercy of God. Daniel chapter 12, verse 2. Daniel 12, verse 2 says a very interesting thing. It says, many of those who are asleep in the dust of the ground will awake. These to everlasting life. So death for you that receive a free gift will be just a shadow and you'll wake up to everlasting life. Daniel 12.2 goes on, but others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. So, you have two choices. You get a free gift that gives you eternal life and gets you out of being a slave to sin, or you stay a slave to sin, do nothing. There you go. Don't do anything. You receive a slave to sin that gives you no responsibility towards righteousness and will produce the wage. It'll pay you the debt you owe of death. Now, I am a husband. I've been trained in many, many years on how to handle when your wife comes in with this. I don't know what it is, and I don't think I want to know. But when your wife brings this in from the garden, you say, that's wonderful, sweetheart. That is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life. You are a perfect gardener. You garden things so great, it's incredible that everything doesn't grow as beautiful. Right? That's what a husband says, right? <laughs> Until the husband finds out that this is what it's supposed to look like. (laughs) 
This is not this. This is not worthy of a comment of praise when this is what it's supposed to be. This is pitiful. This is terrible. This is horrendous. This is... This looks almost good. I still don't know what it is, but if you ate this, I would accept this to be better than this. Yuck, yum. Yum, yuck. You understand? There is something designed to be something that's not this. It's designed to be this. Everybody with me? Now, husbands, you say whatever you got to say, but this is what you want. This is what you want. This is how it's to be. This is how it was designed by God to look like. This is the color it's supposed to be. This is how God designed you. Now, understand that there are two options in your life. Either you're a slave to sin or you're a servant of God. Either you're a slave to righteousness, verse 19, or you're a slave to sin, verse 20. So you're either one or the other. Now, the slave to sin produces nothing righteous. That's why there's nothing in this hand anymore. Nothing. But if you accept the free gift of God, you actually produce what you're supposed to produce. Now, there are two types of plants in this room. There are plants that have sin as their master. And they produce this, emptiness. Because everything they do cannot produce righteousness. Whatever they try to do, it does not work. If they meditate, it does not work. If they yoga, it does not work. If they try to be a good person, it does not work. If they try to go to church, it does not work. But if you accept the free gift, God works in your life and produces this and much more. Go ahead, ask me. How much more? Glad you asked. Eight, at least eight, stay. Stay. Okay, don't stay. Oh, you're not going to stay. Eight things I want you to notice that God wants you to be. Verse 21. Therefore, what benefit were you when deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. Option two. Option two. What are the benefits of being a slave to righteousness? If you're a slave to righteousness, what benefits come your way? The very first benefit I want you to notice is that you have a new shame over past actions of rebellion. 
one of the first things that happens in your life when you accept Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, you finally realize the things that you did wrong were sinful and the things you could have done for God if you were saved. And you look at things that bring you nothing but shame. What benefit? You see that word benefit? That word literally means fruit. 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 One of the things that starts your spiritual walk with God is shame over the things you used to do. And what you do is you confess those things, repent of those things, you don't do those things any longer. You change. From the life of a non-believer, there's not even a small piece of fruit to harvest. There's nothing. But if you are a slave to righteousness, it produces eternal life. You were, imperfect tense, non-believers live a lifestyle before the day of salvation, repeated action, you continue to live that way, you derive things, you do things that are sinful, and once you become a believer, you look back on them and you say with shame, I shouldn't have done that. Shame is the first fruit of salvation. Shame is not the same thing as guilt. Shame comes with the knowledge of righteousness. When you know what is righteous, you know when you do something shameful. A pastor said, quote, To be ashamed of one's past evil ways is a valid element in sanctification. To be ashamed of one's past evil ways is a valid element of sanctification. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 9 says, For I am least of all the apostles, for I am not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Paul is looking back on his life before he was saved, and he said, I persecuted the church of God. The Holy Spirit comes into a life and brings shame to the actions done against God and His holiness. The result, the new believer is humbled, and love for grace and mercy that he's received. When you accept Christ, the first thing that happens is shame for your actions in the past. By the way, for those of us that have been saved for a while, shame comes when we knowingly do something that's sinful. Those times where we say no to the Holy Spirit and we say yes to our sinful desires and we do something evil, there's shame. And with that shame, we come confessing our sins. We've repented of our sins. We apologize for the people that our sin hurts. And we ask forgiveness from God and from them. Second, verse 22. But now having been freed from sin, having been freed from sin, number two, You enter into a new state of grace that brings freedom. You enter into a new state of grace that brings freedom. You are now free. Uh, One of the claims that uh, non-believers make is that us at church has a bunch of rules to do's and don'ts. We have a ball and chain. Uh, We can't be free to do what we want. And the real, real view of that is that for a slave to sin, he's under the power of sin. 
So he basically has no freedom. When a believer comes to Jesus Christ and is saved, we, for the first time, experience the freedom that comes from obeying our Savior and Lord. We have freedom in grace. God's plan of justification, the evidence is different. The sin plan leads us to death. Justification leads us to eternal life. The believer now runs from sin and runs towards righteousness. See the difference? Sinners run to sin. Believers run in freedom to righteousness. Being free, the believer's freedom is released from the power of death, of sin. And even though we still have the ability to fall and sin, we have the blood of Jesus Christ that covers us and forgives us. It's passively done. It's done by God to us. We don't free ourselves. God frees us. God works it so that we have a new relationship with righteousness. The righteousness is imputed to us. God frees you from sin so that you can share with other people caught in sin. There's a way of escape. You remember the, uh, the Civil War? There's the freedom trains that went up. Matter of fact, we had one of them come through Kansas. We had a freedom train that came from the south up through Kansas, and you could, you could get on that if you're black and get up here and be free. You have the same train today. Everybody is in the slavery to sin. The freedom comes when you get on the train that Jesus makes. <laughs> and freedom comes when He does the work to save you. And you can be free. Freedom happens when you accept Jesus Christ. Third, what are the benefits of being a slave to righteousness? Third, verse 22, now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, and enslaved to God, the freedom comes with a new authority to guide my life. A new authority to guide my life. Sin guides you one way to death. God guides your life to eternal life. He leads you in the way of righteousness. He leads you to a better life. He leads you to joy. He leads you to every fruit of the Spirit you can name. Everything God does, He blesses you. And He does it so that you experience life the way God means it to be. So that you are able to produce things that you're supposed to produce. You're enslaved to God. By the word enslaved there is passive. Again, you, it's done to you. You cannot somehow become a slave to God. You can't do something to be a slave to God. You can't attend a church. You can't go to church. You can't do something to earn it. It comes from God. He makes you a slave to God, a permanent position that produces daily actions of righteousness. You are put in a new state of being. All believers prefer to be free from sin and chained to righteousness. New power in his life that exerts new authority to your life. 
Believer is free to serve God through the Holy Spirit's power, works of righteousness. The believer is free to obey God, and you derive benefit from that. Here we go, number four. Resulting in sanctification. Resulting in sanctification, verse 22. What are the benefits of being a slave to righteousness? A new relationship with holiness. A new relationship with holiness. You, as a believer in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit puts in you a desire for righteousness, and you end up being sanctified and more holy than you were last week. Sanctification, the fruit born of holiness and holy living. There's no benefit to our sinful works. The gospel message produces the benefit of holiness. Sanctification is a process of becoming more Christ-like by one degree to the next, ends in eternal life. It literally means to be set apart for set apart as special for God. Set apart for special for God. You are set apart as special for God. You are sanctified. And the believers respond by producing holy actions. We do not do holy things so that we can be saved. But because we're saved, we do the holy and righteous thing. Because we want to be like Jesus Christ. Sanctification takes the sinner from being world-centered, sin-centered, to a believer who's God-centered, holiness-centered. Sanctification is a practical, progressive, moral outworking of perfect righteousness in a changed life of holiness. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 says, We all with unveiled faces behold in a mirror the glory of the Lord and being transformed in the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. We are being transformed in our holiness. Every day you are being transformed into being more holy. Present passive tense. Every day you are more holy than you were the day before. Your goal every day is to be more holy, more righteous, more holy, more righteous. Want to do better. Want to please God more. Want to worship God. I want to please Him every day more than the day before. What are the benefits? of being a slave to righteousness. Number five, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome, eternal life. Number five, a new life with a future hope. A new life and a future hope. You want to live new. The outcome, teleos, a very interesting word. It means to be finished or completed. The end of the road for a believer who's a slave to righteousness is eternal life with God. An everlasting life with God. Eternal life is not why we come to salvation. Eternal life is the result of a right relationship with God. The last day of sanctification is the first day in heavenly eternal life. The result of the service of death is certain the service of sin is death and the service of God is everlasting life.
Everlasting life does not begin when the believer dies, but begins when he first believes. Life. Life. This is why we need to have discipleship in our church. This is why we need to have the more mature men teaching the younger men. This is why we need to have the more mature women teaching the younger women. We want to get greater sanctification. We want to grow because it leads to eternal life. Got a couple questions for you. Where is heaven located? Then I saw a new heaven, a new earth, the first heaven, the first earth passed away, and no longer any sea. Heaven will be where the throne of God is located. Heaven will be a real place. Heaven will be prepared by Jesus Christ. Heaven will be a place of holiness. Place of beauty. A place of unity. A place of perfection. A place of joy. A place that will last forever. I have verses for every one of those. What will we do there? Glad you asked. We will worship God and enjoy Him forever. We will have an intimate knowledge of God. We will serve God in the new heaven and new earth. We will reign with God. We will enjoy God in our heavenly home. We will share in the glory of Jesus Christ. We will fellowship with other believers. We will receive relief from any hardship or the possibility of hardship. There will not be no bad days in heaven. We will live forever. <laughs> and I, I'm not sure about this one, but I'm, I'm going to go out there. Don't throw anything. We will sing in heaven. Okay? Now, listen. We only have a couple verses that talk about singing in heaven. And it's done by those who are martyred during the tribulation period. Okay? They're the only ones that sing in heaven. But, it sure seems like if they start singing, I'm going to start singing. They'll be singing in heaven. Revelation 21, 27 says, Nothing unclean nor one practices abomination or lying will ever come into heaven, but it will be those names whose names are written in the book of life. What are the restrictions of heaven? Well, there will be no sin in heaven. There will be no temple in heaven. There will be no sea in heaven. There will be no tears in heaven. There will be no sickness in heaven. There will be no pain in heaven. There will be no death in heaven. There will be, be no thirst in heaven. There will be no hunger in heaven. There will be no more judgment in heaven. There will be no need for a sun or a moon. There will be no need of a night. It will be heaven. And it will last forever. Six. Six, what are the benefits of being a slave to righteousness? Look at verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ. Notice that. In Christ. In Christ will have, in a state of righteousness, being a slave to righteousness, you have a new Christ. New Christ. That's an Old Testament word. It means Messiah. Messiah. You have a new Messiah. The Messiah in the Old Testament was predicted to come in the New Testament, and Jesus fulfilled all those predictions, and Jesus went to a cross. So the Messiah came to save you and do the work on the cross. So you can say he came with a Christ and a Savior. Christ, the only way to receive salvation is to believe and trust the work of the Christ. 
Being justified is through Christ. We attain salvation through Christ. 2 Timothy 1.10 But now has been revealed the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus. Savior. The Christ is connected with being our Savior. Jesus was the first and foremost Jewish Messiah. He was it. He was Christ. He was our Savior. We know it. He went to the cross. He was perfectly God-man. Eternal life is bound up with the person and work of the Messiah. 7. Look at verse 23. The wages of sin is death. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. 7. We have a co-heir and a groom. A co-heir and a groom. Jesus. Earthly name. The man Jesus. The man God. The man who came to earth to die on a cross for you. The preaching and teaching summed up, focused upon the man Jesus. He was the man And because He's a man, He's like us. He's related to us. And because He's a man, we have a relationship with Him. Romans 8, 17. If children, heirs also, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ. We are co-heirs with Jesus Christ. We will inherit everything Jesus inherits. Revelation 19, 7. Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to Him. To the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. He will also be the groom. He'll be our husband. He will be His bride. He will take care of us. He will minister. He will serve as we serve and minister to Him. He will be our co-heir and our groom. Eighth, gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. He will be our new leader and our new king. Benefit of being a slave of righteousness, we have a new leader and a new king. Our Lord, He's foundational to sanctification. He tells us what to do so we can be holy. We obey Him so that we are holy and sanctified. Jesus Christ is the leader, the head of our church. We do what He says. Colossians 1.18 He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that He Himself will come and have first place in everything. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. Revelation 19.16 And on His robe and on His thigh He has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Notice those words are put together. Lord of lords and King of kings. Why? Because they mean the same thing. King of kings and Lord of lords. You have one true master in the universe. And he has no needs. So he doesn't pay you any wages. Because he doesn't need anything from you. He gives you everything. Because he's king. He's Lord. He's the leader. You get from him grace. So, the answer to this sermon is that will I be joyful over the changes that occur in my life after salvation? The new authority, the new relationship with sin, 
and the new kingship with Jesus Christ. Will I be happy with everything Jesus gives me? Will I be joyful over the changes that have occurred in my life after salvation and the new authority and the new relationship with sin and the new kingship with Jesus Christ? Because it will be the best. Thirteen years ago, I got in my car and I was going to pastor's conference at a great school called Moody Bible Institute and they were having a pastor's conference and I went got in my car and I said hey it's going to be a long drive I'm taking my youth pastor with me we're going to make the drive 10 hours we're going to go straight through we're not stopping for anything we will maybe eat something but other than that we're not stopping we're going to drive straight through and I said to myself I need to be comfortable in this drive so I put on my sweatshirts, most, my sweatpants, my most comfortable pants, and I put on my sweatpants and I went. And I got to Moody, and we got there, and the conference started, and I went to my room to put on my pants, and I realized that I didn't bring a belt with my pants. And my pants would not stay up. So I'd be yanking on my pants all conference, or walking around all conference with one hand on my belt loop, holding them up. So, that's what I get for wearing sweatpants in the car. So, I decided to go to a store to buy a belt. So, I went to the first store in Chicago, downtown, and the belt was $200. And I said, you've got to be kidding me. And I said, let's get out of this store. I went to another store. I went to another store, and it was $225 for a belt. And I said, you've got to be kidding me. I just want a, pant, a belt to hold my pants up. I went to another store. It was $300. I said, you've got to be kidding me for a belt. What a waste of money. I would never do that. I can't. Give me a $20 belt. You got to have, well, you don't have a $20. I want a $20 belt. I'll pay $20. I went everywhere. I went a whole afternoon walking around Chicago trying to find a belt under $200. Guess what? There was one belt left on the table that they were selling. One belt. And it was $90. Something outrageous. And I had to buy the belt. And I bought the belt. And I said, I'm going to wear this belt. And I said, I'm going to wear this belt every single day I get up. I'm going to use this belt like no other belt's been used. I will take this belt anywhere I'm going. And I wore that belt. And I wore that belt. And I wore that belt. And I don't know how long, guys, you handle a belt. But my belts go through about six months and they're done. I don't know. Somehow I'm bad on belts. First year... The belt still looked good. Third year, my belt still looked good. Fourth year, my belt looked good. Eighth year, my belt looked good. Ninth year, my belt looked good. Thirteen years, that belt lasted until last month. Last month, it started dying on me. Thirteen years. You know how much money I saved on that belt? <laughs> I saved a lot of money on that belt. That belt was the best belt I've ever had in my life. 
I asked my wife to look online, see if she can find that belt again. Can't find it anywhere. I lost it. It's destroyed now. I have two types of people in this room. Either you are a slave to sin, and the fruit you're producing is nothing, 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 nothing in the eyes of God. The good things you do are nothing in God's eyes. Everything you do is nothing, nothing, nothing's there, nothing. You do nothing. You're headed for death, and it will be spiritual, physical, and eternal. But those of you that are slaves to righteousness, like me, are fulfilling your purpose. Just like a 13-year belt or a piece of fruit, whatever you are, okay? And, you know, if you are producing one piece of fruit, that's great, but you need to produce another and another and another and another until your holiness is equal to Jesus Christ. That's a big standard. Because Jesus was perfectly holy. But our desire as a believer is to be more holy than we were last week. More fruitful than we were last week. We want to be better than last week. And we can by loving God. And obeying His word and being a slave to righteousness. And we need to go out and tell people how to be free in this life and the next. Father, thank you for this time in your word. I pray, Father, that you would work in our lives so that we will be more fruitful, more beneficial, more righteous than we were last week. Father, I ask that you would work in our lives for your glory and honor, that we would be able to be wonderfully powerful in your hands. I pray, Father, that you would work in our lives to do mighty things for your kingdom. Use us, shape us, mold us, put us into the place you want us to be so that we can be more fruitful for you. Help us, Father. And we'll praise you forever. Forever we will praise you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.